All right. So here's what I want to do. To level the playing field, just so that we all know that we're all on a similar uh, kind of playing field here, um, how many of you will raise your hand if you're a parent and say, you have nailed this parenting thing? Crickets, right? Um, you know, I can, I can have, you know, there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. And uh, we are constantly, as people, kind of walking and teetering upon that line. And there are some things, I think by God's grace, um, that I, I feel very confident in. Um, I feel very confident as a husband, actually. Uh, I feel like God has grown me and matured me as he has sanctified me as a man. Um, he has sanctified me in the ability in my uh, relationship with my wife. And uh, yet, in having confidence with my wife, when it comes to specifically talking about parenting, is I often feel more like a failure than I've done something right. And I don't know if that's the case for you, um, but that is often where I'm at. I feel like uh, I have some confidence. You want to talk to me about Jesus? Yeah, I can talk to you about that. Um, if you want to talk to me about teaching college students, I can talk to you about that. Um, if you want to know random facts about things that don't really matter, I can talk to you about that. Talk to you about parenting, and it's like I am lost. I have been known, probably with tears running down my face, to be in what I believe to be a room with only my wife, looking at her and going, I am lost. I'm crying out to Jesus. I have no idea what to do. Okay? So we're on this journey together, and, um, and so please take that anything that I'm saying in this um, it is, it is come through a lot of uh, self-reflection, a lot of repentance, a lot of trial and error um, in trying to be faithful to God's call and being a gospel-centered parent, all right? So let's look at the passage. Let's jump into this. Like I've said, um, today I'm going to say something uh, about the creation of kids. I'm going to say something about the effects of fall on the kids. I'm going to speak directly to the kids that are in this room. No, you did not get out of it. I'm not, not skipping over you. I'm actually going to preach to our kids um, here today. And then over the course of the next two weeks, I've got eight points for gospel-centered parenting that I want to discuss. We'll see how far we get today. Boom, crash land, pick up the survivor's after it's over, and uh, come back next week for a great conclusion. It's awesome, man. It's the best one my wife has ever written. All right, so here we go. Ephesians chapter 6, starting out. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is a gift. This is right. Excuse me. This is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. All right, a few things that we can pick up from the context here. Is obviously, this was written to a church from a man named Paul, the church at Ephesus. Typically, when they would get these letters, it's believed that they would unroll these scrolls, and they would physically read them to the congregation. This was not secondhand information simply coming from Paul to a parent to a kid, but we can, it is inferred here that where are the children? In the gathering. I know some of you 
are freaking out. We've had people leave Mission Church because we don't offer enough programs for their kids or teenagers. No, we do. It's just not the ones that fit your specific desires. None of those are biblical commands. Now, please hear me. I am pro-mission kids. I'm pro-teenage gatherings. I'm pro all of those things as long as they are secondary to the experience of children seeing their parents and others engaging in corporate worship and hearing the preaching and teaching of the word. I promise you, your kid would be okay because I'm pretty spectacular and I never had any of those things. My first youth group was the one I was the pastor of. All right? Never had a children's thing. Children's church typically literally was pretty much stale crackers and the syrup from McDonald's orange drink. All right? There was not much happening inside of my child experience as a youth. And by God's grace, hopefully... I've been, I'm okay, all right? So, so will your child be. The, the context of the passage is, is more than not, we, we see that children are in the corporate gathering. So all of those things that Paul has set up into this moment, he's not skipping over things simply because there are young ears and minds in the congregation. But no, he is speaking those things in order for those kids to hear him addressing their parents. That's really, really important, all right? We are always trying to segregate our kids, and yet the Scripture doesn't do that. The kids are there. They're participating. Remember, adolescence is not a biblical thing. It's something American or modern society has created. Adolescence is not there. Teenagers is not there. You go from being a child to being a man, being a woman. And this happens much earlier than the age of 27, which is now the average age that people get married. Okay? We're talking about Mary here, right? 14 years of age, and nobody's freaking out because young Mary is getting married and is with child. All right? What has changed is not the Bible. What has changed is culture. Now, I understand, parents, before you, you know, send me dirty emails to justincrow at yahoo.com. Huh? Yes. There you go. See? Don't tell them that. Um, and so um, in that, I'm not saying that all of a sudden we should get into, um, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Because here's, I teach college students. I've been around your teenagers and my teenagers. I've quickly realized the idea of maturity has gone way down to what it once was. And I don't think that's kids' fault, so it's ours okay we've lowered the bar instead of raising the expectations but we see inside of scripture from the very get-go and inside of this church in Ephesus that children are very important children are important to God from the very beginning inside of the book of Genesis what does God say he tells the man and the woman to be fruitful and to multiply and that is not just for our pleasure which it is but it's also for procreation. God could have just making li- kept making little dirt critters and calling them kids, right? He could have kept taking ribs from Adam to make little, bo- little girls, but that is not what he chose to do. He allowed us in our pleasure and joy of him and worship of him to be able to be participants in the created order of things. This idea of multiplication. 
We see this inside of the Bible. Throughout the scripture, though, we are given lots of different episodes of parents who do a really bang-up job, and then we, we see episodes and give exam, are given examples of, of parents who pretty much blow up their kids, right? We see this over and over and over and over again. You can't get through the book of Genesis without seeing some of these things. This is the, the picture that we have from, from great moms weeping over their, their kids to David, the man after God's own heart, being a terrible dad to the point where his son wants to kill him. All right. So we see all of this tension lying within the very text. We see faithful parents. We see unfaithful parents. We see obedient children. We see disobedient children. We see blessing from this, and we see death from this. We often forget in reading the book of Proverbs, because we love to pull them out of context and make little pithy things and thoughts about them, but you need to understand that the book of Proverbs was written from Solomon, to a son. You cannot forget that context. He is teaching the entire book, 31 chapters, is all about him teaching, training, discipling uh, this son of his. All right? That's why even some of the language in there is like, watch out for that crazy woman. All right? And there's some language used inside of Proverbs that'll make you, whew. It's, he's, he's warning his son. Okay? And he's also encouraging, he's training him, he's teaching him. That is the context of Proverbs. We, we see this. We see that children are very, very precious to Jesus. I love that little episode inside of um, the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10, um, there are people that are just surrounding Jesus. And the Bible tells us that in Mark chapter 10, that the disciples start bringing, or excuse me, that all these parents, they start bringing their kids to Jesus, right? Jesus is like, his shadow like heals people, or like, if you touch the hem of his garment, it heals people, and, and all these people are wanting the blessing and the touch of Jesus, and they are bringing their kids, you know, really, hold my baby, touch my baby, bless my baby, hold my baby, all of these sorts of things, which is exactly what, I mean, don't think if Jesus was really here, that me and my wife wouldn't be pushing that stroller of cash all the way up to Jesus, and I will fight, bite, pinch, pull your hair to do whatever it takes in order for my boy to get close to Jesus. And what does the Bible tell us in Mark chapter 10? The disciples get really ticked off about this. That they begin to rebuke the parents, shooing them, all right? Shooing them. You see this a lot in foreign countries still. Um, my time in Africa, my time in Haiti, I've seen lots of shooing from ladies. Shoo, shoo, shoo. Catting kids like you're trying to kick a dog off the porch. I mean, they're just like, get. And, and so the disciples are trying to scat these parents. Get, get, get away from Jesus. Jesus got more important things to do. And the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 10 that Jesus becomes indignant toward the disciples. Put that in southern terms. He gets real mad. All right? Jesus gets really mad. He then turns those who are rebuking the parents, Jesus turns and rebukes them. And he says what? He says, let the little children come unto me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Children are extremely important to God, his glory, and his mission. 
They're extremely important in the life and the body of the church. Jesus is saying that they need to come to me. Come to me. Let the kids come to me. And there's all sorts of verses about what happens to people and what should happen to people if they don't do these things. If they're mean to kids. All right? Maybe we'll get into that uh, next week because next week's going to be awesome. All right, so we, we see this inside of the Bible, the high value that God places on kids. And so should we. And this is going to be tough this morning. But we need to have a high value on kids like God does from conception to death. All right? Because those kids become adults. And we should care about adults as well. We should also care about those kids who become adults who become senior citizens. That we care about life. If you are a gospel-believing follower of Jesus, you must hold to this truth. That we are pro-life from conception unto death. And we live in a society that is murdering and sacrificing kids. And this is an abomination to the Lord. So I, I, I get it. There are lots of other issues that we should be concerned about, that we should be concerned about what is happening to other adults. Again, this is all the uh, imago dei. That's the, the fancy theological term for saying that we are created in the image of God. So whether they are conceived inside of the womb or if they're inside of the womb or if they are outside of the womb, that if we are followers of Jesus, then we must hold those people and those persons in great, great value. So that baby inside that mama carries as much value to us as those outside of that mama. And to say that you are all about a certain specific social issue, like, like we should be concerned about racism. Why? Because those people of other races are the image bearers of God. But you can't be that and, and, and counteract the idea, though, of unborn children being killed in the mother's womb womb. All of our lives should hold within it this, this understanding that we see these sorts of things, like that Christians are, are pro-life from conception to death, and that that should be reflected in our homes, our lives, and our mission. And we need to also understand this understanding is that this is not simply a political issue as much as it is a gospel issue, and that we should see that whether it is, is happening inside of our homes and inside of our lives, or even in November's when we go into little booths and we check little boxes, if you say that you're pro Jesus, you cannot be pro-death. It's a contradiction. And I don't care how our government gets into our money. A sin is not erased by us promoting more sin. And that's what we're doing. The value of life is extremely important to Jesus. 
See, really important to Jesus. Again, not just at birth, because I think a lot of people who are pro-life are just thinking about being pro-life at birth. And I'm not saying that. We are pro-life. All of life. From conception until death. We should be pro those things. And I know that it's tough, and it's difficult, and it's tough to make decisions. But we don't answer to our government. We don't answer to the Constitution. Those are both great things. Those are great blessings from God. You answer to a greater Constitution, a a greater sovereignty, and that is of God. It is of His Word. And we can't be about one while sabotaging the other. We must see the great importance of kids. You know, I can't tell you how, as one of your elders, how excited I am every time that you guys have babies. Um, that's something that Laura and I wish that we would have had more kids. Uh, we made some choices early on that we shouldn't have made, and we cannot do that. Um, but I get really excited. My wife gets really excited whenever you guys um, have kids. But, you know, I, I also get extremely excited as one of your elders because our heartbeat at Mission Church is that we would so understand the gospel is that, that there would be lots of foster kids running around this place and that there would be lots more adopted kids running around this place, that kids are just multiplying like gremlins. You put water on them, they, I mean, they're just multiplying all over the place. That's the, if y'all haven't got it yet, that's the only way we're going to grow as Mission Church. Because y'all got the best preachers. All right? So y'all going to have to, y'all going to have to keep that multiplication going. But I want you to understand the beauty of that from, from foster care, how that reflects the gospel, from adoption, how that reflects the gospel, and, and the joy of, of seeing families not only have children through natural birth, but those of you who are even in process of adopting kids or wanting to adopt your kids or, or, or fostering kids, all of those sorts of things, that this all reflects the beauty and the nature of God and his high value on kids. Thank you. We love that. God, I think, loves that. Now, as awesome as kids are, it doesn't take very long to realize that they are evil spawns of Satan. (laughs) That they are devil children. Antichrist devil children. All right? And I mean that with all the love in my heart. Because the Bible illustrates that. As we talked about leading up to this moment, that sin has not only affected you as a man, that sin has not only affected you as a woman, but that sin that is, has come through our federal headship the, uh, of Adam and Eve, that as they sin, the Bible says, so we also sin in the garden. So the sin that was in Adam and Eve, it's as though you and I were in the garden with our first parents, eating of that fruit. And because of that, sin has beget sin, beget sin, beget sin. The legacy of our first parents is that you and I are what? That we're sinners. So husband, you're a sinner. Wife, you are a sinner. And guess what? Your children have been also greatly affected by the fall. They are what? Sinners. 
Now, by God's grace and mercy, they don't have to say, you know, evil children's, evil spawns of Satan, all the different words that we mumble under our breath about them. There can be radical change, but we cannot forget the, the effects of the fall on our kids. And that is really easy to do. One of my friends, Mark Phillips, you guys know him. He's a missionary in Africa. He's been there for like 10 years. And often when Mark and I talk, and I, I'll, I'll text him, even in Africa, and I say, man, how can I pray you for you? And Mark will often respond to me, pray that Jesus would save my kids. He's a missionary. Haven't they got that down yet? No, man, pray that Jesus would save my kids. But many of us will have this understanding and we're trying to put Christ-like expectations on an unconverted kid. We often forget they're lost. As sin has affected you, Dad, as sin has affected you, Mom, so has sin affected your kids. David, speaking of him, in Psalm 51, 5, will say, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. All of us know who have kids that from the moment that they are born, that little bucket-headed kid of yours, it doesn't matter how cute they are, can manipulate you. That babies, before they even learn how to speak, can learn how to cry in order to get certain things. <laughs> Prime example. He's like, get me out of here. Right? He's reading my email. I mean, they, they quickly learn these things. You know as a parent that you do not have to spend much time at all once they get to a certain age kind of figuring out this kid already knows how to do bad things. You don't have to teach a child how to do bad things. They come out doing bad things. What you have to do is you have to teach that child to do what? To do good things. They will manipulate you from birth. I know as a new parent, Laura and I, we got freaked out whenever Cash was first born and before we ever knew that Cash had any kinds of issues. And I remember us going to see Dr. Smith here in town one time, and he was like, here's the deal. You guys are worrying way too much about this kid crying. You know what kids do? They cry. And there is no reported incident ever in the history of medicine where a kid has died from crying. But you'll be easily manipulated by that. You'll make decisions in your home because of your kid's sin and their deceptive abilities because they're so dang cute. All right? The fall is great. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 4, the Bible says that Adam knew Eve. That's a fancy way of saying they get the privilege of doing what married people get to do. And Eve bore him a child named Cain. And then she bore him another son named Abel. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 4, not only has the legacy of sin been in Adam and Eve, but it has now also gone to their kids to the point where what does Cain do? He kills, he murders his brother. And then it continues to spiral out of control from there. So, skip thousands of years from Genesis and the effects of sin, and you can, you can see all of this happening inside of these kids, inside of the Old Testament, to the point to where you get to the New Testament, and the, you know, the, the, the encouragement here is that Paul begins 
to speak directly to kids. So there is hope found here, kids. There's hope found here, parents. As Paul addresses them specifically, where? Inside the corporate gathering, he looks at the kids, he speaks to the kids in the room, and he says, I want you to know, because of sin, this is your very nature. Man, you like to lie, steal, cheat, disobey, dishonor, all of these sorts of things is resting inside of your heart. But yet, kids, there is hope in the person and work of Jesus that he can change that, that very nature from being a child of wrath to being a child of grace. We see this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, where it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your, and your mother. We, we see this powerful truths and powerful promises. So kids, if you're in this room, if you're still living at home, I want you to hear me out this morning. As one of your pastors, I am speaking now directly to you because this passage is speaking directly to you. Our heartbeat and the, the heartbeat of the gospel is that you would be a gospel-centered kid, that you'd be a gospel, gospel-centered child, that literally that Jesus can change you, that he can change people at a very young age even, that being a follower and a faithful follower of Jesus isn't something that you'll just do in the future, but I want you to know that there are faithful kids inside of scripture and there are faithful kids walking all over the planet today who are actually being faithful in in their love and affections for Jesus and this can be true of you is that you need Jesus the first thing here that we get speaking directly to kids is that a gospel-centered child does what kids obeys their parents. A gospel-centered child obeys their parents. And yes, I'm speaking to you. What does it mean to obey to them? Well, we learned earlier inside of the book of Ephesians that we're to submit, right? We're to place ourselves under the submission and the authority of someone else, and that all of this is reflective of the gospel. See, kids who obey their parents, they, they fully comply to their parents' instructions both in the presence and in the absence of their parents. Did you get that, kids? When you're in the presence of your parents, you know what you should do? As long as it is not sinful, you should do what your parents tell you to do. doesn't matter if you like it. It doesn't matter if you have a better idea. It doesn't matter. You're to obey your parents. But also, you're to obey your parents even if your parents aren't present. And what do I mean by that? I don't know how many kids that I know, and I I pray that this is not my kids, that they can be little angels um, at home and be devils everywhere else. They can easily be influenced and will submit and obey to other peers, which will lead them to disobey what their parents are telling them to do. But the Bible is very clear here. You are to what? Obey your parents. Like the wife and the husband, you and your parents are equal in dignity and worth and importance. But children, you need to understand that you have very different Roles, you have very different responsibilities. Children, get this. 
This is a matter of your worship to Jesus. This is a matter of your worship to Jesus. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obey your parents in the Lord. You do not simply obey because they ask you. You obey because this is what Jesus has asked you to do, kids. Now, inside of the Old Testament, this is, again, this is, this is Old Testament, and I'm not in any way saying that God has changed. There's a lot of context around this verse, but kids, look at me. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, and this isn't to scare you, but I want you to understand, you need to thank God for grace. Because in, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 through 21, kids, listen to this. If there's a man who has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of the city, This is our stubborn and rebellious this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Be encouraged. <laughs> right? Anybody happy for grace? Any older kids who are now adults, happy for grace? Yes. Okay? Now, kids. I just I read you that passage to show you, though, the importance of what Jesus is saying here. In the Old Testament times, it was capital punishment. That's what we call the death penalty. That's where they could literally kill you for, for willfully disobeying your parents repeatedly. And they're loving you, caring for you, disciplining you, giving you a home, all those sorts of things. That it was a very serious offense inside of early Judaism, okay? The second thing that we see here is that gospel-centered children honor their parents. Honor your parents. The obedience, and I'm about to get an amen from these kids, the obedience will one day end, kids. Amen. All right? The obedience will one day end, but the honoring never does. The honoring never does. What do we mean by honoring your parents? That means that you show reverence, respect, love, that you regard them highly in the position that God has placed them in. Remember, you are not worshiping Jesus when you do not obey and honor your parents. Do you get that, kids? You're not worshiping Jesus when you're disobeying and dishonoring your parents. Like he... It is not worship of, of Jesus. We often see this inside of you kids, a dishonoring, a disrespectful, and it has a lot to do, not what just comes out of your mouth, but it has to do a lot with your attitude. There's nothing that will rile up your parents more than a terrible attitude and being unappreciative to your parents. Nothing incites them more than probably those two things. A terrible attitude and being unappreciative. Because the thing is, kids, you actually are only seeing things from your five-foot view. 
and you're not seeing the full picture that often is taking place and what your parents are trying to do, what they're trying to teach you, what they're trying to show you. The raising of your voice, the rolling of your eyes, the willful disobedience, all of those things do not show that your heart, in your heart, that you are attempting to or fighting to worship Jesus. And God calls you to honor your parents. Now, this also means that we're to honor our parents after we get out of their house. We no longer have to obey them, but we're to honor them for the rest of our lives. Do you know how the Bible suggests that we are to take care of our parents when they get too old to take care of themselves? It is not a nursing home. It is your home. Did you know that? It is not a nursing home. And I understand it could get to a certain case where there are physical, like, like deep sickness. I, I understand all of that, okay? There, I'm not saying there never comes a point where it's just medically they have to have this. But the general rule of thumb of, of, of who's supposed to take care of people when they get old is us. There is role reversal. Your parents who brought you into this world, who wiped your hind in, guess what your future is? Is wiping their hind in. Be encouraged, little one. This is the picture that we see. That we as parents will eventually get so old and unable to take care of ourselves that our kids are to step in there, especially if they're gospel-believing, Jesus-loving, following kids, is to step in, welcome them into our homes, and to take care of them. The Bible would even allude that it's not the church's primarily responsibility. But it's your responsibility as a kid to do those things, to take care of them. So we're to honor them. You're to seek their wisdom, to seek their advice. You can see this in many of us who have good relationships with our parents in adulthood. My dad is much more of my friend than he is my dad. My mom is much more of my, 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 my friend, she's my sister, way more than she is my mom. Uh, Larry and Kathy inside of our lives, they're much more like friends. We go to them for advice. They have wisdom. Larry and Kathy have wisdom. My mom and dad have wisdom. Um, we go to them. We seek their advice. We honor their position in our lives as we now enjoy a friendship. And I want you to know that friendship can be awesome. It's not awesome in every situation. I understand that for some of you. But it can be awesome. And we should be honoring them in this. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Do you understand that, kids? Both in their presence and when you're out of their presence, you should be obedient and honoring your parents because this pleases Jesus. This pleases Jesus. Kids, will you look at me? Everybody, all kids. Can you help us out as well? As we as parents, we need tons of grace. We need you to show us grace. 
And you won't get this now, little Stuarts. I mean, y'all probably have like 50 kids each or something crazy. Y'all like to, that fruitful multiply stuff. Stuart household. All right? How, how, and you, you won't get this right now. But one day when you have your own bucket-headed kids running around and you realize how difficult it is to be faithful at being a gospel-centered parent, I hope that you will remember this day and that you'll call your parents and that you'll show them a lot of grace, that you'll show them a lot of forgiveness. Because you know what? To do this faithfully, I think, is the most difficult job on the planet. There is no rest in parenting kids. And even after you go to bed, there are many conversations, there are many sleepless nights, there are much agony because there, the Bible does not give us a checklist, an equation to creating perfect kids in our home. And that's not even the goal. And it is so difficult because what will work with one of you does not work with another, the other one. How we can handle this situation will work, and we'll go into the... I want you to know, kids, there are days when we're like, yes, and we go into the room, and we shut the door, and we're like, we did it. We did it. Like, we made it. We did something good. Only to walk out with you going. (laughs) It's the most crazy thing. I mean, think about this. God says, be fruitful and multiply. Let this man be joined with this woman. And we all know how difficulty that is. And then all of a sudden to make matters even crazier, what do we decide to do? Throw kids into the mix. Like that's going to solve the problems. Oh no, 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 no. Does not solve the problems. You've just welcomed you know, DNA into your craziness. It's all we've done. And it is tough. It is tough. First shift is tough. Second shift is tough. Third shift is tough when it comes to parenting because there is no rest for those of us who are trying to be faithful parents. All right? You all, parents all know this because if you've ever been on vacation, you need another vacation. I hadn't had a vacation since my honeymoon. All right? Because they've all been worked since then. All right? It's, it's work. It's tough. So kids, please, I'm asking you as one of your pastors to show your parents a lot of grace. We often will come across as we're trying to be confident in Jesus that we know what to do. But many of those times, we are completely lost at what to do. And we need you to show you grace. Kids, if you love Jesus, obey your parents. Honor your parents. All right, now let's transition into what I'm going to cover, finish up for the next few minutes here, and then we'll pick back up next week addressing parents. It goes on to say here, oh, let me say this really quick to the kids. Verse 3. That it honor them, obey them and honor them, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. It's for your protection. It's for your wealth that you listen, obey your parents. All right, now parents, specifically, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And it's from that I'm going to spring forth and kind of give you, over the course of the next two Sundays, eight kind of um, marks or fruit of gospel-centered parents. All right? So that's, that's kind of where we're heading, springboarding off of, off of these truths here. All right, the first thing that I want us to understand that we see from Scripture, from this passage and from all of Scripture, is that we are to be gospel-centered parents. We, we want our kids to be gospel-centered, but we as well have to be gospel-centered parents, and there are just simply some fruits that will, marks that will well up inside of, they will be illustrated in the life of parents who are being gospel-centered. And so the first one that I want you to get this today, write this down, parents, is this, is that gospel-centered parents model to their kids. Gospel-centered parents model to their kids, and you're going to model three things. The first thing that gospel-centered parents do is that gospel-centered parents, they model a pursuit of Christ in front of their kids. A gospel-centered parent models a pursuit of Christ to their kids. If I was to sit down with your kids today and I could actually have an honest conversation with them and I could say, how in the last seven days have your parents, mom and dad, how have they illustrated to you that they love Jesus above everything else? That Jesus consumes their time, talent, and treasure. That Jesus consumes, that I often, when I get up to get my Cheerios, Pastor Eric, I'll walk in there with my Pop-Tart in hand, and I will see my daddy or my mama at the kitchen table drinking coffee, praying with each other, reading the Bible, talking about Jesus, praying with me. That all of these things are modeled inside of a gospel-centered parent. That you, first and foremost, parents, if you want to gospel your kids, kids, you must be gospeled yourself. You must pursue Jesus more than you pursue those kids. That if I could sit down with them, and, and man, I know of kids like this who their parents claim to be Christians, and I just want to ask those kids, like, how does that show up? How do they see that prayer and study and practice and your relationship with the local church actually means something. See, faithful fellowship with Jesus produces faithful parenting. Faithful relationship with Jesus produces faithful parenting because you, you understand you're beginning, Stephen Covey, you're beginning with the end in mind. That Jesus is of the utmost in my heart and my desire as a dad, as a wife, that I'm dedicated to Jesus and that the greatest thing, the way that you can love those kids, parents, is that you love Jesus even more. The Bible would say that it even looks like hate when you compare how much you love your kids to how much you love Jesus. The term hate there means, practically, it means a, a love less. It's not hate like ne necessarily like how we would use hate, but because God would tell you to love your kids, all right? Kids, you're to be loved by your parents. But on a scale, is that I love Jesus this much. And kid, you're down the line. 
And kids, I want you to know you want your, you want your parents to love Jesus this much because you are going to, uh, their vertical relationship with God has horizontal effects. And you are the first, one of the first dominoes to be affected by that dedication, that, that pinpointed laser focus, precision pursuit of you as a man, as a woman with kids, pursuing after the person and work of Jesus. And they will reap the benefits of that. There should be no question in our home. If I was to ask you, man, are, is your mom and daddy a Christian? Oh, yes, they're a Christian. Well, what's the fruit of that fellowship? And they should be able to tell me if a, a gospel-centered Christian, a gospel-centered parent, man, they are dedicated to modeling before their their kids what it means to pursue Jesus. The second thing that you're going to model is a gospel-centered marriage. First is your relationship with Jesus. Secondly, and in the home, and the second most important relationship on the planet is your relationship with your husband and your wife. Seeing the gospel manifested in a tangible ways in front of your kids. This is the greatest earthly gift as a parent to give your, your child is a gospel-centered marriage to imitate and to pattern their life after. This is what you should be doing inside of your home. It's been said by one of the commentators, healthy marriages are typically the soil that healthy children spring forth from. I can't re-preach gospel-centered marriage here. But some of you heard those sermons, and yet you are not doing those sermons. See, the Bible tells us not to just be hearers of the Word, but be doers of the Word. If you want to see an immature believer or non-Christian, meet someone who knows a lot about these things and yet does not put them into practice. Parents, if you want to be a gospel-centered home, if you want to model the gospel to your kids, then you must gospel to them. You must model to them what it means to have a healthy marriage. I can't tell you how many parents that I've come across that will, will glory in the fact. And ladies, you are really susceptible to this. If you tell uh, most of us men in this room that we're bad dads, you know what we do? Oh, you're a liar. You don't know what I do. I bring home the bacon. Not turkey bacon, the real stuff. It's good. But if, if a wife ever feels attacked about how good of a mother she is, it will typically destroy her. But I want to say something to both husbands and wives in looking at this modeling here. Many of us will find great glory in, in believing that we're a great parent. We'll take a lot of satisfaction in that. We'll take a lot of self-pride in that, that I'm a good parent. I'm a good, I'm a good parent. And we'll do that all all the while, while being an unbiblical spouse. And you can't have both. 
Say what you want to me about me being a wife. Say what you want to me about being a husband. As long as you don't talk about me being a dad, don't talk about me being a wife, I mean a, a, a mom. It doesn't matter that I'm a terrible, unfaithful wife. It doesn't matter that I'm a terrible, unfaithful husband. I'm a good dad. No, you're not. Because what do they need to see modeled before them? In the long run, this sabotages the welfare of the children. A chaotic marriage leads to chaotic children. Some parents work so hard to protect their kids from the influences of the world, and yet their home is a wreck. So you've protected them from everything outside the world. All right, we're creating a little Amish community on 74 Ivy Farms. We're going to protect our kids from everything that's happening in the world. And yet your home is a war. Who's protecting your kids from you? A child's stability is rooted in the strength of the marriage. Are your kids learning humility or hypocrisy? I love this quote from an ancient archbishop. He said this, To give children good instruction... And a bad example is but beckoning to them with the head to show them the way to heaven while we take them by the hand and lead them in the way to hell. It tells us here in verse 4, specifically speaking to fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Well, what does this mean? And Donovan, it does not mean what you shared with me on Wednesday night at MC (laughs) in our little conversation. All right? It's not ammunition to go against your parents about any time that they get on to you. Don't make me angry, the Bible says. All right? Here's here's what this means. We can easily provoke our children to anger when there is unjustly, they are kind of living under our thumb, when there appears to be no freedom, when there's inconsistency, when there's unfair rules, when there's criticism, when there's a lack of empathy and patience. But here's the real kicker of what that passage is trying to tell us is that children will become confused, frustrated, and angry when you as a parent, specifically you dads, do not practice what you preach. That's what makes a kid mad. That's what makes a kid frustrated. I can't tell you how many times, and I forgive my dad, we got a great relationship, all these sorts of things, but I can't tell you how many times as a kid in the summer, it'd be like 100 degrees outside. And uh, I never really saw my dad work much around the house, but he was always barking orders at me to work around the house, and that used to drive me absolutely nuts as a kid. Because he'd be like, we got to take care of this place. How's that recliner being taken care of? we got to mow the grass. Have you ever mowed the grass? I remember one time my dad, he, he, he bought me, my parents bought me a nice car when I was a kid. My dad came to me and he said, hey, Eric, um, because I just need to know, son, have, have you checked the oil in this thing? And which I said, there's oil in this thing? And he goes, well, well, oil's the lifeblood of cars. You know, you got to bark, you got to blame, you got to have oil in there to lock up the engine, blah, 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 blah. And I said respectfully, I said, well, isn't that something that you should have taught me? I'm still alive. 
So he received it well. Touche, touche. Right? I mean, I had no idea. I today just know that it has oil in it. Gas goes here. Costs me 50 bucks every time I fill up. That's it. Wipers do this. Ignition. That's about it. Okay? It's the idea, though, of, of, of practicing what you preach. That, that they need to be learning humility from us, not hypocrisy. That, that, that we need to be very careful not to wrongfully, and I'm not saying be so gospel-centered that all we do is grace, 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 like we just pretend like little Johnny has never done anything bad. That is not what the Bible is saying either. Okay, but this helicopter, you know, you got to, I mean, you, I know this was a thing. You got a backpack with a monkey tail on it, and it's attached to your kid and attached to your rich. And that kid's just like, you know, walking wherever, and you're dragging them back, that kid on a leash. I mean, things have changed. It's like, uh, hey, Mom and Daddy, I want to go outside and play. Oh, no, don't go outside. It's dangerous. I want you to know I never had a helmet riding a bike. Now they'll put you in jail. Kid, yes, sir, is this your kid out here riding their bike without a helmet? Now, you can ride a motorcycle. It's legal. Without a helmet. But you can't ride a bike, a huffy, down the street without a helmet. Okay, I want you to know we lived in an old ancient time where we jumped stuff, put little cards in, a, in the spokes. I remember I had a light on my bicycle one time. And at the age of 10, would drive on my little huffy bike from my parents' house three miles to Walmart at 10 years old? What? That's crazy. Okay? Now, again, I'm not saying there doesn't need boundaries. I understand that there's people, creepers with vans, inviting kids into their, their vans with candy. I get, I get all of that scary stuff. Okay? We can't be helicopter. There, there has to be some freedom in your kids' lives. And that's got to be modeled in, inside of, of this marriage, that, there, that there's this idea that the freedom that we have in Jesus is being modeled in our marriage, that I'm being a good example, a good model, and all of those sorts of things that, that when our kids, when we start talking about Jesus, that it has weightiness to it because what I hear daddy talking about, what I see mama talking about, it's matched up in their marriage. I'm not just learning hypocrisy, but I'm actually learning what it means to pursue after Jesus, to love someone someone other than myself, that, that in all of these things that, that, that I see the person and work of Jesus. Brian Chapel says this, an exasperated child is one who has the right to be provoked because of one's inconsistence and incongruencies between parents' stated beliefs and the parents' actual behavior. If you're going to be a gospel-centered parent, then you have to model some things. Brothers and sisters, you have to model what it means to be a pursuer of Jesus. That, you, that your kids see you praying, 
They see you reading the word. They see you moms having coffee with so-and-so. Where's mama at tonight? Well, mama can't be with her here tonight. She's having coffee, which typically means a whole lot of milk and a dash of coffee in it with so-and-so um, so that they can disciple each other. So we're going to have fun here. You're going to eat a bunch of junk food with me. We're going to watch movies because that's all of us dad knows what to do. And um, don't tell mama, right? <laughs> I know you're four. Let's watch Terminator, okay? <laughs> we tried that. Don't do it. <laughs> There's a terrible scene in that movie. It was really embarrassing. <laughs> Click. All right. They need to see it modeled. They need to see it illustrated. They need to know, hey, we're, we're not going to do this this week or go out to eat this many times because we're here to bless so-and-so. They need to see you modeling care. They need to see that you love your wife. They need to see that you love your husband, that you're welcoming into. Don't bring and just expect these kids not to react when they're reacting based on what they see in us. They're responding in what they see in us, that, that we, as followers of Jesus, would lay down our lives before our very kids for the sake of following Jesus. They need to see us involved in the Great Commission. As you are going, make disciples. We'll get into to that next week. We don't have time to do it this morning, but, but in this idea, they need to see that that is being mirrored from you, that you are going and are actively illustrating that you love Jesus and that you love their mama and that you love their daddy. They've, those things have to be modeled to these kids. They have to be. It starts with that nucleus. Pursuit of Jesus pursuit of him or her who, has who is next to us and apply the gospel because they're trying to figure out what is true all the time in a world full of fake news it's really hard for kids to determine anymore the difference between make believe and imaginary things and reality and if you're preaching Jesus and saying these things to your kids, and yet it's not matched in your individual life, and it's not matched in, in the husband-wife relationship, then that really confuses our kids. And if they're not old enough to understand that now, I've worked with enough college students and counseled enough people that when they get about 20-something, they're going to have a really difficult time. A really difficult time. And this is where we crash and burn. So much here, and I think that there's so much here that, that we, we need to hear. I didn't even get to my original stopping point for today. But God is gracious and God is good. He's appointed such a time as this. We can't eat all the pie at once. And that's why I was trying to cream you guys with a bunch of pies this morning. But hopefully this is enough of a piece. So kids, look at me. Are you a follower of Jesus? Because he's real. He's real. And one of the ways that you worship Jesus 
is by honoring and obeying your parents. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, kids, we invite you to do this. One, I invite you to sit down with your parents and ask them to share the gospel with you. Because the gospel should be something that it's on their lips inside of their home and inside of your home all the time. We're not here to beat up your parents. Again, what I said at the very beginning, most of us feel like failures a lot of the time. But even before you come to one of your elders, I'm going to ask you today, kids, that you would sit down with your parents and that you would ask them, tell me more about what it means to follow Jesus. Tell me more about this thing that Pastor Eric was talking about, about worshiping Jesus. Tell me more about the cross. Tell me more about his resurrection. Tell me more, why, why do I need to follow Jesus, Daddy? I, have you ever seen Jesus, Daddy? It's okay, parents. Ask them those questions, kids. And for those of us who are parents, I'm going to cut this to this. In that modeling is asking the question, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you genuinely have a relationship with Jesus? If you do, praise God for that, but ask him to continue to work in you and to show you areas that you need to grow in. If you don't, repent, come to Jesus, pursue Jesus, and in seeking repentance from Jesus, then go to your kids, have those little munchkins, have that wife sit down, have that husband sit down, sit your kids down, and repent to your kids, seeking forgiveness. Daddy was wrong. Mommy was wrong. Please forgive me. I am sorry. I need the grace of Jesus. I believe that he has given me to that, but I'm also seeking not only reconciliation with him, but I'm seeking reconciliation with each one of you. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is making it right with your husband or wife. Because that needs to be modeled. That needs to be illustrated to your kids. And I believe that that can change. I've hoped that that can change today. Because I know of people, and I've seen it in my own life, heading in a certain trajectory of life, and be so convicted and the power of the Holy Spirit come down so hard in my life and the lives of others that it can totally change the trajectory of that life. That's the hope of the gospel. Let's pray.